One does not necessarily allow the state to define what is legal. Now, the state has the power to enforce a certain concept of what is legal, but power doesn't imply justice or correctness even. Throughout American history, the political leaders have always exhorted the American people to be nice and quiet and leave things to them. But when very serious evils confronted the American people, they had to go beyond the congressmen and the senators, and they had to commit civil disobedience, and they had even to break the law. This is News Coup, a public herald production where we set the record straight on what's in the news. I'm your host, Joshua Probanek, and today we're going to be talking about a story that Public Herald's been working on for the last eight months, and how Pennsylvania is discharging radioactive fracking waste into rivers as landfill leachate, impacting both Chesapeake Bay and Ohio River watersheds. You can find and subscribe to News Coup on all of your favorite podcast channels. This is a publicly funded program, so anybody who wishes to donate to this work to keep this production moving, you can help us out at publicherald.org slash donate. And the article that we'll be referencing today can be found at publicherald.org slash leachate. Our investigation has found that DEP is allowing 14 sewage waste treatment plants to discharge radioactive fracking waste as landfill leachate into 13 Pennsylvania waterways. The process that DEP created to treat and discharge the leachate through sewage plants appears to date as far back as the fracking boom, uh, like 2009 or longer. The size of the story is vast. It hits all points pretty much across the state. In the west, there's 11 facilities, one hitting the Allegheny River from a plant in Johnstown, another reaching the treasured Yakagani River, um, all discharging radioactive fracking waste as landfill leachate into the Ohio River watershed. In the east, the effluent of pollution flows from three facilities upstream of Harrisburg down the Susquehanna River into Maryland's Chesapeake Bay. At the start of 2019, there were 15, not 14, sewage facilities overseen by DEP to send leachate to the waterways. One facility, the Bell Vernon Sewage Plant in Fayette County, shut down its leachate intake in May after Superintendent Guy Krupa said it was killing their bugs. We've tried to get the numbers on the total leachate that's annually being released to these 15 facilities, which DEP says they don't have this information available. But Bell Vernon did provide the numbers for their facility, and if you take that and multiply it by 15, we're looking at 547, 500,000 million gallons per year of leachate going to these places, depending on the rainfall. Uh, that's on the low end. On the high end, it would be closer to 1.6 billion gallons of leachate per year. Now, if you look at the radiation involved in that, um, Bell Vernon says on the low end, they were looking at discharging eight picocuries per liter into the waterway. The uh, maximum contaminant level for drinking water is five picocuries per liter. And if we take those numbers and convert liter to gallons, uh, we end up looking at a situation where pretty much billions of gallons of radionuclides are being discharged into these rivers each year by way of this process through sewage facilities and no one's testing for it no one's looking at it uh, no one's going to the discharge points and finding how much radiation is going out 
how much radiation has gotten down the stream, what this is in relation to the background levels. All we know that is that experts are saying from Duke University and from Duquesne University that these sewage plants are completely incapable of treating this radioactive material in the leachate and any leachate that comes from uh, fracking waste itself. Landfills are just not set up to handle these chemicals. They're not set up to handle this radioactivity. Going as far back as 2011, Public Herald has been one of the first news agencies in Pennsylvania to dig into what's going on with the fracking waste. We know that because when we started to request records from the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection, they would hand us folders, for instance, with uh, Shell oil and gas waste, and the folders would be completely empty. You know, Shell had been operating for three, maybe more years at that time, and the state didn't have one record in their file for where that waste was going. So right from the start, we started to correct the state's records and you know, we saw letters in those files saying, hey, we don't have your records for the last three years. Can you send us where all your waste went? Um, so the story for us when it came to what's happening with the waste, where it's going, was impossible to write because we, we just we couldn't follow the record trail at all. And nobody back then was talking about this either. If you remember, a lot of this stuff was being, in terms of the wastewater, was being trucked to sewage facilities directly. Uh, that got shut down by the EPA right around 2011 uh, when they requested that the DEP immediately halt any trucks uh, from going to these sewage facilities because the sewage facilities were not equipped to handle the contaminants and the radioactivity and other things that are associated with uh, fracking wastewater. So that then stopped, and the expectation was much of this waste was going to Ohio to injection wells, and other parts of it were going to private facilities in the state who were treating it, eliminating all, all these toxins, eliminating all these contaminants, and then selling back that water to the industry, or in some cases, discharging clean water to streams through NPDES permits. Now, we've been challenging that particular story uh, for a while now. If, if you look back at 2018, we wrote about Epiphany LLC, who tried to start one of these companies in Triple Divide saying that they would be able to clean that wastewater, get everything out of it, and discharge clean water to a sewage authority. We challenged that because there's no regulatory requirements to force them to test for all these serious fracking chemicals that are in there, but more importantly, the radioactivity itself to make sure that what they were sending out in their effluent was not containing radioactive elements that were going to go into the sewage authority and then into the stream. That particular project got shut down right after we were threatened to be sued by the Buffalo Bills owner, Terry Pagula. And we received news from a whistleblower about another project over uh, an hour east of there called Eureka Resources, who was treating this stuff and did have an NPDES permit to discharge into the stream. Uh, after we took a closer look at that, we started to follow the trail of where their waste was going, which much of it was going to Wayne Township Landfill, which is in Clinton County. And we were asking questions like, where's that leachate going? And where, where's the leachate going for other landfills across the state who are accepting this waste? In the middle of those questions to DEP, the story of Bell Vernon got dropped. And all of a sudden, you had a sewage facility operator saying that their sewage facility could not operate correctly because this 
leachate that was coming from the landfill it was so toxic because of the fracking constituents, the radioactivity, the chemicals, that it was killing off their system, killing off their bugs. That then gave us some ground to stand on because we had first-hand experience from a sewage facility operator willing to talk about exactly what happened when this leachate came through the system. We had contacted people from Wayne Township Landfill. We've contacted a number of different landfills that the DEP said are accepting leachate. None of them have been willing to talk with us. In addition to that, we've been contacting the sewage authorities, their superintendents, their supervisors, their engineers, to try and get them on the record about what's happening because they have violations that are similar to Bell Vernon. They have high ammonia. They have other problems connected to leachate. But none of them will talk. But in this rare instance, we have Guy Krupa from the Bell Vernon Sewage Treatment Plant who is breaking all this down for us and giving us a very clear picture of what is going on when leachate from a landfill, which ends up being laced with radionuclides that come out of the fracking process and other chemicals that are associated with fracking, we can see the cradle-to-grave cycle here how it's getting into the landfill, how the landfill is getting into the sewage authority, how the sewage authority is getting it directly back into the rivers themselves, and everything that's happening behind the scenes with DEP. Most importantly behind these scenes, that DEP is being told by, in this case, Guy Krupa, that they're discharging radioactive waste into a waterway, and that they're discharging these chemicals and discharging an effluent that doesn't meet the NPDES standards. And the DEP inspectors, you know, these guys are supposed to be the experts for the DEP who are supposed to be closely watching, closely monitoring all these problems in the state. And that's why the state regulatory process works, according to Scott Perry's recent speech up there. Those people told somebody like Guy Krupa that, hey, you guys don't have to worry about discharging that stuff because the Drinking Water Authority a mile down the stream is on the other side of the river and your discharge isn't going to hit their intake. Well, anybody who's been on a river knows that when a river turns, such as where this intake is for this drinking water authority, the water is going to push into that bank. And that's exactly what's going on here. You've got an NPDES permit that's being violated. You've got radioactive material going into the Monongahela River. You've got other chemicals going into the Monongahela River in addition to sewage all being pushed directly to the the Charleroi Drinking Water Authority. And the state saying that none of this is happening. The state coming up with a story that completely contradicts what everybody is saying on the ground. And the head of the state, Scott Perry himself, the head of oil and gas, going around and downplaying this story, telling the public there's nothing to worry about, they've got this taken care of, just like they took care of the situation in 2011, not mentioning to anybody that that's a situation that they created and it's one that the EPA had to come in and tell them to stop and do something about it. For those that might be new to this story, new to the subject, uh, Scott Perry, the head of oil and gas, has been operating the DEP in this way for over a decade and making speeches across the state that there's nothing wrong. Uh, He's attempted to discredit Public Herald to sources that we've spoken with Um, And he has not taken these factual instances of major problems, systemic problems in their agency seriously. Now, in this case, 
due to the fact that we have something that's happening on a regular basis, on a daily basis, uh, where kids are recreating, uh, one of these facilities is, you know, 10 minutes or so upstream from the Canada McMillan School District where the cancer outbreak is happening. And nobody has real answers for that. Um, you know, now that this is out there, the expectation is that Scott Perry, other people in the DEP are going to have to face the fire and they're going to have to turn these leachate pipes off and handle this waste properly, test it for radioactivity, test it for the fracking chemicals, run it through a system where all this stuff is removed, all this stuff is safely stored in a place that can handle hazardous material like radioactivity, and at the end of the day, keep the rivers clean. Now on top of that, on top of just turning off those leachate pipes, the state is going to have to go out and check each one of these rivers. And there's there's no way, you know, our reporting at Public Herald is going to rely on the state results in order to justify whether or not radioactivity has impacted these streams, where it might be, or anything like that. Uh, we will ask for independent testing to be produced by either West Virginia University, who did the testing for Bell Vernon, or Duke University, or Duquesne University, somebody that we've been able to rely on in the past for dependable testing that actually gives us the results to questions that we have. So that's where we are with today's show. Uh, if you want to share this work, uh, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast channels, tweet about this online, be sure to, t- to tag us and to show your support for everyone who's been involved in this. You can find the writers for the story, myself, Joshua Perbanic on Twitter at JB Perbanic. Uh, you can find Talia Weiner on there and Melissa Troutman also on there and follow Public Herald at our hashtag Public Herald on Twitter or Facebook or whatever channel that you use. With that, let's jump into this interview. So we just wanted to learn a little bit more about your experience at Bell Vernon. So if you could kind of just give us the rundown of how how you figured out the leachate was a problem at your facility. Well, the landfill was doing, they, they do quarterly testing, which is a 450. And they do it every quarter since, since probably 1994. And we noticed sometime in 15, 16, and then really bad in 17, the the constituents in the Form 50 were starting to indicate that um, they were accepting frac waste. So the indicators were things such as sodium, calcium, chloride, barium, um, high conductivity, TDS. So those were kind of the earmarks that we were kind of looking for. Okay. And it wasn't until later... You know, I think probably after a year of doing our own testing and kind of being hot on the trail, that was confirmed by somebody at the a subcontractor at the uh, landfill that was running a uh, like some kind of trial to try to clean up the leachate that he indicated to us that they were taking frac waste, cake, things like that that were laced in diesel fuel and amongst other things. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe one, two, four ethyl benzene. They were all indicators of just frac waste, things that they use in flowback, things that are in flowback, things that they use in drill cuttings. And we we um, we contacted the DEP and told them that you know we think that they're taking frac waste. And I was I told them this thinking that they were going to 
I was going to tell them something they didn't know. And he said, the one DEP guy said, yeah, we know. And I said, well, you know they're taking frac waste? He said, yeah, they're only allowed to take so much. And I said, do you know how much they're taking? And he goes, yeah, they record it on our manifest. Mm. I said, well, do you know that they're taking this waste at night and on weekends when they're closed? And he mm-hmm. said, well, they're not allowed. And I said, well, they might not be allowed, but they are, they're doing it. Yeah. And he said, well, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. And, you know. and I said, well, I know what to tell you. They're taking it. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of said, well, they, you know, they're on the honesty policy that, you know, they have to report what they're taking. I said, well, I know they're not. Yeah. Um, so you, the testing you guys were doing, is that kind of customary or did you start testing? No, I mean, the, you know, the, those items, those constituents that are in that water are in municipal sewage. So these aren't regular tests that we run. These were special tests that we had to have um, done by our lab. And then, you know, then we started knowing, you know, finding more and more out about frac waste. And then we thought, well, you know, we've got to check for radiologicals. So we got WVU to do an independent study on the effluent of the leachate and our effluent of our sewage plant. And we found that, you know, they were, you know, the thing about, thing about Pennsylvania is there's really no uh, limit to what we can discharge because, let's face it, that stuff shouldn't be in there. So sewage plants aren't usually regulated for something like that. But there is we we had to do we had to follow drinking water standards, which was five picocuries per liter. And at one point we were discharging over eight parts mm. picocuries per liter. So we had to uh, notify downstream users such as Charleroi Water that you know hey we we tested for this stuff and we found it and here's what the levels are. The, here's the thing with the DEP is if they don't test for it, it doesn't exist, right? So if you really were not required to test for it, it's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of breaking it down a little bit, when that tracking waste is going through your system, carrying mm-hmm. with it all these chemicals, what is it What is it actually doing to your system? Is it affecting? So, yeah, so what it did was it, it affected treatability. Um, it, it affected the, uh, our microbiological process. You might as well say this stuff was hazardous waste. It was industrial waste, but part most of it, I think, and it indicated by the WVU test that there were radiological and there was radium two two six two two eight in there. And what what it did was it affected the, our ability to treat sewage, but it also these such things such as TDS um, conductivity. Um, these are all soluble items in water and. It was pretty much what it was doing was just, it was just a pass through. So what I always said was the landfill was we were their permit to pollute. We didn't we weren't required to analyze for these things, so it was pass through. So mm-hmm. it passed right through our plant. It affected our plant because it was microbiological. These these animals that are in these tanks breathe air. So if you feed them a steady dose of salt which was high in chloride, if you feed them a steady dose of salt, they're not going to survive. So we were killing off, they were killing off our bugs. Therefore, mm-hmm. we weren't able to treat sewage very effectively. And I was reporting these violations that we had to the DEP through the EDMR uh, system on the computer. And so they were well aware that we weren't making our limits. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the, main, the major danger, I think, was that we were passing these – we're passing these things through and straight into the source water. Right. Right. And so 
I guess you've kind of spoken to the DEP's role in this, but what do you think kind of the landfill itself role in this is? Well, well the landfill itself, I mean, they they came at first they were, you know, very uh, cooperative. They're going to we're going to make this right. We're going to do we're going to do all we can to, you know, to solve your problems and they did nothing. Right. They they did nothing. They really didn't. And um also they had a they hired a spokesperson and the spokesperson uh came out and said, "Well, we don't have we never had and we don't have any violations of, of any sort." Well, that's true. They don't because they have no limits. Right. So they don't have an NPDES permit. We do. So they could discharge pretty much whatever we they wanted, and they weren't going to violate anything. So mm -hmm. they were right to say that. They, you know, they had some smart marketing or smart PR people to say, well, hey, we didn't violate anything. Yeah, of course, because you didn't have any limits. Right. We did, but you didn't for a year. And, and you, he's like, yeah, they only know about this for a year. And Dave Root even told me that we can't push them too much because we're afraid they're just going to pick up and leave. And then at that point, it may have the whole place may have to be super funded. On that there's there's a giant loophole in within the DEP. The DEP, DEP is so departmentalized that we were answer, we answer to clean water. The landfill actually answers to, to solid waste. So we were telling our problems to clean water, but they weren't relaying the they weren't relaying these problems to solid waste. So okay. solid waste, I mean, you might as well say they are a waste because they were not conveying our problems to clean water. Mm -hmm. I, I told those people, you know, you, you have a giant loophole. You have, waste, you have waste management on one side and you have clean water on the other, and running right through the middle is is pretty much their leachate. Right. Which was, is unregulated and no pretreatment was required. The DEP mm -hmm. didn't go to them and say, listen, you guys, this stuff's horrible. You have to do something about it. Well, I guess they thought, well, if it's not causing anybody any problems, we're not going to say anything. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on kind of the DEP policy to allow kind of leachate excess, but as long as a fine is paid, allow it to continue? Well, you know what? I, you know, I have, I have lost a lot of respect for that institution. I really did. I mean, you, you, we rely on, we rely on this state agency to protect our source water, to protect our resources, to protect the environment, and this is their solution. Well, you got to keep, you have to let it keep coming to you until they can figure out a problem. No, we stop it, mm -hmm. and then you figure out a problem. Well, we got a 90-day injunction put in place through a court order to say shut this stuff off. We're not, you know, Belvern's not going to take it anymore. And then, as a matter of fact, this last week. We got that injunction extended for a year, so they are not allowed to send us any frac, any leachate, for a whole year. And did the EPA get involved in this at all or not? Um, I was told that the EPA was going to get involved, but they never contacted me. Um, I don't know if they're afraid to take this or do something. I I don't know, but I mean, I received. Go ahead. I was I've been interviewed. I was interviewed, and the operator was interviewed last week by the AG's office. For the criminal or the environmental crimes division. What what about the AG? What did they do? Uh, I got interviewed for two and a half hours by two agents from the AG's office uh, from the environmental crimes department. Okay. And my operator, I just got interviewed this last Friday by the same people 
for, you know, just to collaborate the story, I guess, to see, you know, if they all match up. So, um, with the AG themselves, did they uh, talk to you or ask questions about the Department of Environmental Protection? Or did yeah, yeah, they asked, yeah, they asked, you know, they, I, you know, I told them pretty much what I just told you. Um, they wanted to know what they said and how they handled it and who said what, you know, pretty much just, you know, just wanted some details. And they uh, wanted you know, to know about the department themselves, not specifically the industry. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty much department. You know, I gave them names, I gave them, you know, quotes, I gave them what they said, I gave them dates. Did they ask anything about the landfill in terms of their operation, or was it mostly about the department? No, very little about the landfill. I'm, I mean, I can't, you know, honestly, I, I can't blame the landfill too much because, you know, that's why we have these government, these governing state bodies, they're supposed to be governing them. I mean, if they are they were doing what they wanted to do and they weren't giving any um, pressure to stay in compliance with anything, and, well, they did what they wanted to do and they were allowed. Only because they had nobody overseeing them. So I don't blame them. I blame the DEP for not doing their first job. That's a, I mean, we were essentially their permit to pollute is all we were. Yeah, you mentioned that. We have that in the article right now. Yeah, I mean that is that is the best way to describe it. Did the um, know, the landfill has come out many times and, and, and defended themselves, saying that they never violated any any um, limits. They've never had a permit violation. They don't have a permit. So well, we've right. heard that, but they do have a, a permit with the EPA, I believe, an NPDES or something that, that gets filed with the EPA. It's separate from the state. Well. They don't have any state. They don't have an NPDES permit to discharge into any body of water. We yeah. had the permit, and that DEP told me that at first when we first got into this. I called them and said, "You know, they're causing us upsets." And the guy told me, uh, "You know what? I'll call you right back." And he calls me back with some young guy. His name is Brad Klein, and he's not there anymore. He, I think, he moved on. But he called me back and goes, "Well, I got the good news and bad news." I said, "What's that?" He goes, "Well, we can't do anything." Obviously, is we can't do a thing because they don't have a permit. So if they don't have a permit, then we can't do anything. However, we can do something to you because you hold the permit. He said, do you have an agreement with them? I said, yes, but it's outdated, and it hasn't been updated. You know, we, we have very little leverage to put on them. He said, well, all I can tell you is you're essentially, you are essentially their NPDES permit. You have to govern them. We can't do a thing because they don't have a permit. So good luck with that. Thanks. But you did mention that the landfill was doing some things um, that were off-putting, right? I mentioned I actually well, the, the 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 day or the next week, the day we found out that we confirmed that the landfill was taking large amounts of euro cuttings, flowback cake. The day we the, the next week, that's when Mick Planisek came down to the plant and. I was I thought I was gonna tell him something that he didn't know. I thought like, you know what, I'm gonna blow this guy out of the water. And I said, You know, Mick, they're taking frack waste like crazy up there, drill cuttings. He goes, Yeah, I know. I said, You know? He goes, Yeah, yeah, they're allowed. I said, Well, do you know how much they're taking? He goes, Well, they're only allowed to take so much. They have to, they have to you know, register it on a manifest on our website. <laughs> and I said, Mick, do you think is it possible? Is it possible? Let's think about this. Is it possible they're taking more than they're allowed? Well, they're not allowed. They have to report it. I said, well, do you know that there's people that live around that landfill that hear trucks coming in and out of all night long when the landfill's closed? Coming in there at 5 o'clock in the morning, because that was confirmed by 
the subcontractor that was running that pretreatment system for them, that he told me that these trucks are coming in in a cloak of darkness and they're early in the morning and they're dumping they're dumping this these drill cuttings that are laced in diesel fuel. Mm-hmm. And I said I said the landfill doesn't open until like six And su- supposedly there's people around the landfill that see them going around the radiation detectors. And that's so another that, thing Nick told me. Mick's like, well, they have to go through radiation detectors to get in there. I said, well, do you think they turn those off? Or do you think they go around them? He just, well, they're not allowed. I said, but is it possible that they are? Oh, I don't know. I'm not there. Well, there's that. And then there's the fact that the radiation detectors, detection uh, parameters that we know of is detecting for gamma and not for alpha. Yeah, alpha doesn't pass through metal. It's not going to pass that truck. Right. Um, so the other thing you mentioned was that the landfill said that they would turn off their leachate pipe to you when the NPDES permit was being tested. Yeah, we told them we sample early in the week. We composite sample on Mondays, and then we send them out on Tuesdays. We saw a noticeable difference in flow and the volume and everything, uh, concentrations. We saw a major reduction, say, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they would let it blow. So they knew. We made a mistake and told them when we sample. So in order for us to, in order for them to keep keep the heat off, they would they would be very careful and strategic in when they discharge that stuff. And the day that Mick Planisek came up to our down to our plant, he was going to go from there up to the landfill right after he interviewed us because he said, I want to hear your concerns, and I'm going to go up to the landfill, and I'm going to tell them. I said, Mick, when you go up there, don't be surprised that they're not discharging the damn thing. So he goes up there, comes back in the afternoon, and he goes, oh, yeah, he goes, they're, uh, they're fixing a flow meter on the outfall of the place. He said they had the flow shut off. Imagine that. I said, Mick, <laughs> come on. I said, do you think do you think they planned that? He goes, well, I saw them working on the, on the flow meter. I mean, he's so stupid. And this is the guy who's supposed to be inspecting for everybody. This is the guy. This safety. is the waste management inspector for the lamp. The expert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the DEP expert. Right. He was also the one that said when I had when my operator said, you know, we discharge this stuff in the river right here, and a mile down the river, there's shallower water's intakes right there. And he goes, "What side of the river is it on?" And I said, "What's on the other <laughs> side of the river? About a mile. This ain't no shit. One side of the river." I said, "It's on the other side." He goes, "Oh, they're good. They're on the other side." <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, I know a guy. Bad. I know a guy at Shallery Water. His name yeah. is Chad Warfield. We got that. We got that leachate shut off on May 18th, 2019. Chad Warfield called me three days later, and he goes, "Did you have the landfill? Did you get the landfill shut off?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Why?" I said, "Did you hear?" He goes, no. He goes, we haven't run our caustic pumps pH adjustment on the intake for 10 years. He goes, I had to turn it on. Now, to me, that's scary. What's he saying there? Explain that. So they never – caustic is used to raise the pH of uh, you know of water. The pH was so high in the past years, the last 10 years or so, that they didn't have to adjust pH because it was already too high. Well, once three days after we got the landfill shut off, he told me he had to run his caustic pumps because the pH reduced. Because the pH was what? The pH the pH was down. He had to bring the pH up, but for the last ten years he never had. 
So, huh. is that a little coincidental that we get the landfill shut off and the velocity of the river goes from our side of the river to the other side where their intake is, and now all of a sudden they have to run their caustic pumps? I mean, that's a little bit ironic. It's a little bit coincidental, and it's a little bit scary, if you ask me. And if you follow the flow, you know, it goes to the outside, to the outside is where the higher velocity is. And outside is our discharge, and the other side yeah. of the river where it bends is right where their intake is. I'm looking at the the feedback from DEP to the questions that we sent them about your, your plant specifically. Okay. And they said that they found no indication that any bugs were harmed and that there was no problem with the Monongahela River. Do you have any statement in response to that? Well, I mean, the radiation, the radium 226228 was above drinking water standards, so I would say that, that is, that's harmful. Um, I don't know why how they can come up with something like that. And um, the bugs, I mean, if, if I never sent them a sludge analysis, but I've told them the reason why we weren't able to treat effectively, and the reason why we had violations was because that we had bug die off. So, I mean, I don't know why they would assume nothing else. And can you can you just refresh my memory here? How long did the bug die off for you happen? Uh, well over a year. I mean, it started. We started seeing uh, continuous die off until starting around when I got here, which was. March of 18. That's when you were hired? Yeah, I was hired in February. No, yeah, February of 18. And we started having issues right away when I stepped in. And I'd say March is when we started noticing a significant difference in the in the uh, mixed liquor. So you think that the BP statements are are unfounded or how did they come um, how do you yeah, this is their, if, this if is you their official talking, statement to us. If so. you weren't talking to Howard Dunn or getting a statement from Howard Dunn, this just shows how much, how much, how how less or how little communication there is between the departments and, and personnel in the departments. But you're telling me that <clears throat> Howard Dunn told you that your bugs were dying. I told Howard Dunn that, and it was the reason why, consequently, we were having violations, effluent violations couldn't treat the water effectively because we had bug die off. So Howard Dunn knew that. Now, whether upper management of the DEP didn't, um, that's their fault. I related to our, I related to our inspector, and our inspector knew. And then Howard Dunn um, came and saw this or not? Yes, he, yeah, he did an inspection. He did an inspection. So he, yeah, he, was, he, knew, he knew what was going on. He knew I'll let him know about it. And uh, they also knew about uh, the radium levels, because I had to tell them that I had a meeting with Charlie explaining our permitted and non-permitted violations or non-compliance. I sent them an email, and we sent it to our engineer. Also sent that in a hard copy to the DEP, saying that we did do that to satisfy the DEP or the MPDS requirements. Okay, um, that sounds like it'll do it. Uh, I just, just wanted to make sure that. It was clear that you understood that DEP was giving us an official statement saying that those things didn't happen. Well, I mean, I, I, if I were them, I'd say the same thing. Because obviously, they weren't well informed enough and didn't pass the word around the department. And when you said you were hired, did you ever talk to the guy you replaced? Yes. And what did they have to say? Anything? Uh, well, I mean, I was, you know, he trained me for the first six months, you know, so he was here until July of last year. So. 
I mean, he was an older guy, and, you know, he said one day he pulled me aside and said, listen, you know what you're doing with this stuff, with this sewage plant and with these landfill stuff. He said, just take it over completely because, you know, I'm so far behind on this. I see. So the, the issues uh, could have likely been happening for much longer. Yeah, I believe they were, but maybe to not to that degree. I think that they were getting loads of something, chocolates or something, maybe not in that amount, but it really started picking up after I got here. And that's, the drilling did pick up down there with EQC yes. and Huntley and Huntley, correct? Yeah, well, so, yeah. So, I mean, and I, you know, there's there's a manifest on the DEP website that shows the tonnage of residual waste that they took. And last, in 18, the whole year of 18, they took 163,000 tons of residual waste. That's not biosolids. That's not garbage. That's residual waste. And if you pay attention to these trucks that they're hauling, you know, this frat cake and all this bullshit, it's all labeled residual waste. And the majority of the residual waste is coming from West Virginia. 163,000 tons for the year of 18. Did you you happen to look at 17? No. I looked at 18, the first quarter of 18, and they took almost 60,000 tons. Um, they were on they were on track to do about two, over 200,000 tons for 19 until until we just you know I mean obviously they're still taking it so they're on track this year to go over 200,000 tons of residual waste. So at the end of this, even though Guy Krupper was able to shut the shut down what's happening at his facility, there's still 14 facilities out there that are doing this. And there appears to be a few more uh, that DEP did not make available to us and that we know have legacy problems in this state that DEP also did not disclose. So we're going to be looking further into that and updating everyone as soon as possible. And to come back to the statements that we made about Wayne Township Landfill at the beginning of this, which kind of opened up our questions about leachate across the state, uh, we still do not know where the liquid waste leachate from Wayne, Wayne Township landfill is ending up. The DEP has not been able to provide that information and the Wayne Township landfill uh, will not return requests for comment on that. And that will do it for today's show. On the next show, we're going to get some feedback from people we've reached out to for this article. Um, hopefully hear back from the DEP on why they don't have the leachate totals available. Hear back something from the governor on how this is going to be handled. Um, or the Department of Health, and fill everybody in and fill in those gaps as this story progresses. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. And you can support our work by becoming a Public Herald member. It's a $30 donation to publicherald.org slash donate. And that always helps News Coup and everything else we do stay afloat. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you at the next show.